welcome to this Unpacked Short. I'm Charlie Pickles. I'm joined by Peter Franklin. Hello. Hello, Peter, our Unpacked Guru. And I'm also joined, delighted to say, uh, by Henry Olson, who is our US flyover editor, uh, who's actually over with us for a few days. Hello, Charlie. Hi, Henry. Lovely to have you. Today, we are looking at a piece that uh, Peter wrote on, in fact, I think it was this week or, or last week, on how political correctness corrupts the right. And so we're all very familiar uh, with the idea that, you know, political correctness has slightly uh, spun out of control, one might say, uh, and that we associate that with the left. But Peter's piece is sort of telling us that we need to be a little bit cautious uh, before we celebrate the fact, or rather people on the right celebrate the fact that this is a uh, perhaps becoming a problem for uh, those on the left. So it was a piece, Peter, that you looked at in Bloomberg uh, by Tyler Cowan, um, and it was actually focusing on some research that you have unpacked previously. So do you want to just start by um, telling our listeners about that particular piece of research or polling that was done? Okay, um, yes, this was research which was um, uh, heavily featured by uh, Yashka Monk, who's a sort of well-known expert in all of these um, kind of issues. And um, what it revealed was that, you know, most Americans, um, including Americans of all ethnic groups, are actually pretty hostile to the idea of political correctness. And we're talking 80%. Well, yeah, I mean, these are big, big majorities against it, but also hostile, um, quite rightly, to the idea of hate speech as well. So these are not, by and large, bigoted people at all, but they don't like... um, you know the, the politicization of everything, and everything has to conform to a particular ideology, um, and for all sorts of reasons, not least that they think they might, they themselves will be tripped up if they say the the, the wrong thing. Um, that you know, it's not a popular thing, despite um, you know it might seem like an even battle from from a sort of Westminster bubble or. Washington Beltway perspective it's not out there in the country it's not popular at all and so this is why uh, Tyler Cowen is arguing effectively that this is you know this is a boon to the Republicans and the polling was done in America Uh, but actually if you expand that beyond America to conservatives more generally so you know effectively he's saying you should just you you should let the left get on with it because it's so unpopular and celebrate the fact that it's putting people off also, it causes a kind a series of civil wars on the, on the left. Um, you know, we've seen how on transgender issues, we see how radical feminists, most of whom are definitely left wing, um, are you know in a quite a serious conflict with transgender and sort of LGTB plus 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 type activists. Um, and it's you know it, it's it's definitely a, a a deep division amongst uh, you know within progressive circles and there's various other examples um, you know secularists versus anti-Islamophobes um, being another example so um, you know it, it, you know it, if everyone if it's all about victimhood then there's going to be competition as to who's the biggest victim or who's the real victim here. And that tends to be a sort of left versus left battle. And, you know, the the culture wars, I think, are are probably 
somewhat more advanced in the US uh, than, than they are here. Though we're definitely starting to see um, the kind of identity politics, the sort of no platforming, you know, the kind of this, as you're describing it, Peter, the sort of uh, kind of victim point scoring yes. type agenda yes. uh, growing here. But um, this does seem to be something which, which in the US is, is a real issue, Henry. Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of the things you see on the left is exactly the sort of uh, atomization of identity that we uh, experience uh, on the left. There's a controversy over whether or not uh, white feminists can speak about the uh, real authentic problems of feminists of color. And then you have the questions between feminists of colors, whose identity is more authentic. And at some point, one wonders whether or not there's any identity that anyone can share other than themselves. And once you reach that point, exactly how is politics possible? Because there's no communication possible. And and so, Peter, um, as I said at the start, uh, your perspective, your uh, view um, on this subject is actually that conservatives, Republicans specifically in the American context, actually need to be quite careful before they sort of, you know, celebrate or, or even slightly gloat uh, about the state of the left and, and kind of how it is sort of slightly tearing itself apart and moving away from um, mainstream views within uh, the country. And you give us four reasons why conservatives should actually pause for a moment uh, and think about uh, how political correctness is affecting them. I thought we'd just run through those four uh, and Henry can chip in with a sort of US perspective and and any thoughts uh, that he has. So first of all, um, you talk about the fact that uh, if you fixate on the the kind of, you know, the the woke left, the sort of extreme political Mm. correctness on the left, uh, as you say, at its most outlandish, then there is the risk that the right ignores genuine issues and concerns. That's right. And the example I give is, um, for instance, there's there's something, there's a movement called the the Slut Walk protests, where women who are protesting against um, the lack of safety on the streets and harassment by by men um, dress up as provocatively as as um, as possible and it really and is walk, <laughs> yes and say look we can wear anything we like and that is our rights and indeed it is now there are those and not just on the right who say this is this this is going a bit too much and that you know it's, it's undignified and women shouldn't have to protest this way um but really if you're outraged by that and not by the fact, the everyday fact of harassment of women and girls by predatory, obnoxious men. Um, well, you've got your priorities really wrong. You should, you should be much more concerned about a general phenomenon than um, a particular sort of campaigning style by a small group of activists, right? So, you know, focus on the right points don't get distracted um, in, in, in this way, or don't don't make too big an issue of of it. And Henry, I mean, you know, similar. Uh, if you take the issue of um, discrimination around ethnic minorities, and you know, you gave the great mm. example of the sort of tension between, you know, even within uh, uh, feminists of colour within that different tensions and stuff. And you know, we can sort of 
say how slightly ridiculous that sounds but actually you know we might we might for a moment fleetingly say that but actually we still need to recognize and conservatives and republicans still need to recognize that you know employment rates for example for ethnic minorities are dramatically lower than on the whole for white people so you know how would you see this in america is it a fair comparison well, I, you know, one of the things to remember about the American right is there's a substantial anti-government component to it, which is that even if you recognize that there is a social issue, uh, the government ought not to be doing something about it because that's something that civil society and individuals ought to do. Uh, and the whole question of PC by exaggerating uh, and uh, creating uh, stereotypes uh, helps to feed into that uh, government uh, by, by seeking to legislate these minute and often ridiculous points of view, uh, it actually feeds into one of the worst characteristics of the right, which is the government ought not to be trying to get involved in this when there are some very real issues about discrimination that the government ought to be taking into account, and that by distancing themselves from that, then conservatives in America lose the opportunity to talk to the real concerns of average people. Uh, the best thing, in my mind, that conservatives in America should do with respect to PC is if it doesn't touch the majority of people, uh, ignore it, because it just shows how out of touch the left is. There's a study that shows that the left, most left-wing sixth of America has radically different priorities than virtually the other five-sixths. And most of those different priorities rest around things that come to rest under the PC moniker. So let them go crazy, and as long as it's not touching the vast majority of people, uh, don't respond tit for tat. Okay, and then the second uh, reason we should be a bit cautious, Peter, uh, is that um, some people on the right may end up inverting political correctness. Yes. What do you mean by that? It means that you adopt the same language of victimhood um, and, and victim or victimhood that isn't really interested in specific solvable examples of discrimination, but a sort of general identify identification of being a victim, but then applies it to their own supporters. So, you know, it, I, I'm thinking here of maybe sort of men's rights, for instance, you know, as the, the sort of red pill type people who maintain that actually vic the men are the true victims and are being manipulated by women and all of this. Um, and although, you know, the, there are some legitimate reasons to worry about you know, the, 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 the condition of males, like, for instance, look at a suicide rates, much more common amongst men than women. Um, but, you know, to, 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 to try and sort of fold that into a narrative of female privilege is ridiculous. Um, and I think just as undignified and, and detached from reality as anything that conventional left-wing political correctness can come up with. And still very much pitting one side against the other rather than thinking about how collectively you can try and solve yeah. a problem. Yeah, it's a politics of division and, you know, <laughs> conservatives, um, if anything, should be about a politics of cohesion. And Henry, is... Um is there a bit of a campaign for uh, a bigger International Men's Day in America, or is that, that not caught on? Because that's becoming a bit of a thing here. Um, yeah, that's very fringe in the United States. There are, 
you know, to the extent there's any sort of popular uh, men's rights campaigns in the United States, it has to do around uh, inequities in uh, divorce that uh, men frequently don't get uh, the same sorts of privileges regarding visitation or custody of children. Uh, Which is a big issue here as well, yeah. Yeah, and the other issue in America is that in the 2008 recession, uh, men lost their jobs at much higher rates and have been rehired at much lesser rates. Uh, and so you have people trying to turn around that language of victimhood and say, well, look, you know, the man, you know, it was a man session in 2008, not a recession. And there's some truth to that, but adopting that language actually distracts from the real issue at, at, uh, at uh, play, you know, which is the loss of uh, high-paying uh, jobs that require less levels of education that disproportionately had been held by men. So by turning it into a gender issue rather than an economic issue, you actually, uh, the, the establishment right actually helped create uh, the sort of ground for Donald Trump to actually talk about the real issue. And then thirdly, Peter, um, you talk about how if political correctness can distract the left from focusing on those issues which um, are affecting in, you know, on a large scale uh, people's lives and, and that voters actually care about, um, a sort of what you describe as, an, as ostentatious displays of political incorrectness, uh, Donald Trump, uh, can do the same for the right. Yeah, uh, I think Henry's just touched on it, that, you know, Trump supporters, for instance, have real concerns about their their jobs and their, their sort of position in American society. Um, and they want those, they, they want those practical concerns um, addressed. Um, but um, when you saw various attempts to uh, stage provocations on the issue of immigration um, in the run-up to the midterm elections. Um, that didn't work out too well for the Republicans um, because, you know, their core voters didn't seem particularly mo- motivated by that sort of um, kind of rather uh, exaggerated um, uh, depiction of you know risks at the border that you know you know and that we must have this this wall built right now so that we can stop these sort of caravans of migrants that are, are supposedly coming up from central america um uh, people said well I'd, I'd rather hear something positive about manufacturing jobs and how we stop factories closing um and so no they didn't they weren't particularly impressed not motivated anyway Henry? I I think immigration actually was a winning issue for Republicans in one sense, but the Republicans have a problem, you know, which is that uh, the things that unite their base with some of the American swing voters dramatically alienate others. And Trump and the Republican Party has not figured out how to create a unifying issue of national cohesion, conservatism. Uh, that the politics, uh, as Peter called it, of division, uh, which is being practiced by the left, can mobilize elements on the right, but it remains neither side being able to create a positive case going forward for uh, some form of positive uh, agenda. And the Republicans need to be able to do that if they're going to succeed in 2020. 
And then finally, uh, Peter, your fourth reason that Conservatives should be more cautious uh, is that setting aside, as you put it, the kind of content uh, or the inversion of uh, the content of political correctness, um, political correctness comes with a sort of style of politics as well, uh, which you describe as uh, elevating feelings over facts and display over debate. Um, and that effectively this is something which the Conservatives, Republicans, um, are just as likely to fall into um, and to use as the left. Yeah, um, traditionally conservatism has prevailed over the left by being seen as the grown-up party, as being seen as the people that will tell you what you need to hear rather than what you want to hear. Which is why um, they tend to be stronger on economy, for example. Exactly. So, it, it, you know, it's seen maybe not as being more compassionate, but certainly more realistic, more responsible if you abandon all of that and just go for the guts, emotive stuff, gut reactions, you surrender you know, the traditional advantage and you just end up in what amounts to a screaming match with your opponents um, in which you look no more dignified than they do. And in the case of um, President Trump, I'd suggest a great deal less. I mean... There you have someone who deals with emotion, not facts, as, you know, you just look at his Twitter um, out, outpourings and you'll see someone who's not especially big on um, dignity. And, and Henry, I mean, populism, populist figures um, in general tend to harness the kind of people's feelings, people's emotions more than the facts. That's no, I mean that's generally true, and it's one of the great fears of a radical populism is something that uh, excites but doesn't guide, and that consequently tears down more than it can build. Uh, democratic politics in America always requires some mixture of imagery and uh, and substance. Uh, so you're not going to get a successful democratic politician running for the United States presidency without some degree of showmanship. Ronald Reagan used to, when responding to people who criticized him for being actors, said, I don't understand how you can do this job without being an actor. <laughs> but um, you, know, you have the president uh, particularly has alienated a large number of people who would like to have a sober, dignified conservatism. And that is the reason why the Democrats won the midterms. And if he cannot win them back, it's the greatest opportunity the Democrats have of beating him for re-election in 2020. Uh, but he seems to not understand that. And as I'd like to say, that he still brings to politics the attitude of a private sector entrepreneur, which is that if you get repeat business from 45% of a market in the private sector, you're a billionaire in politics and a two-party system. If you get repeat business from 45% of the electorate, you're a loser. You're out of office. Thank you very much. Uh, so I think a, a general consensus there that probably conservatives do need to be a little cautious before they start uh, popping uh, the champagne corks, which somehow just seems a very appropriate analogy. Uh, but anyway, we'll leave that there. So thank you so much, both Peter 
and Henry, um, particularly Henry, obviously all the way over from the US. Thank you all for listening. I do want to just give a quick plug to a new podcast series that we have and we're particularly proud of uh, here at Unheard, which is called Confessions, uh, presented by the fabulous Giles Fraser, uh, which is one-to-one conversations, kind of in-depth conversations, really exploring how his distinguished, very eminent guests uh, view the world, what makes them tick, uh, what's what's effectively formed their belief systems. Uh, and they are brilliant conversations, really personal and really interesting. So I do recommend it. Check it out uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, please do subscribe if you haven't already. Mm-hmm.